Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and in today's episode, we're talking about self-compassion. But I really wanted to bring this conversation of self-compassion to the parents who, like myself, can relate to being highly sensitive to the world around them and their relationships and or are also raising a highly sensitive kid. Some may use the language of being deeply feeling, and whether you relate to being deeply feeling or highly sensitive, this conversation and this episode is for you. I invited my friend Runda onto the podcast. She is a mother of two and a pediatric occupational therapist. She also identifies as being highly sensitive and is raising a highly sensitive kid herself. Her platform, Mother Care Journey, is all about helping mothers cope through their challenges, cultivate self-compassion, and find ways to take care of themselves along their motherhood journeys, while also supporting the needs of their children. I'm really excited to introduce you to her and to share this conversation with you. Are you ready? Let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care. And you are so deserving of that care. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, Arunda. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. I'm really excited to dive into our topic and to just get a chance to chat with you in real time. I, the listener isn't able to see our faces, but I can see your face right now on the video. And it's so nice to get off social media and connect in, in real time with you. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for inviting me to your podcast, Dr. Cassidy. I am just so excited to be here and to talk about all my favorite things today. So thanks for having me. Before we dive into our topic today, I would love to give the listeners a chance to get to know you. Could you share a little bit about yourself, your family, the work you do, what inspires you and what lights you up? Sure. So um, I am a mother of two wonderful children. They're ages four and six. Um, I live with my family in Canada. So we are currently in a very long winter stretch, but hopefully near the end. Um, I work as an occupational therapist. So I started off my career uh, working in an inpatient mental health facility. So with, um, with individuals who were struggling so much with their mental health that it was impacting their functioning. And um, I developed such a passion for mental health at that point. And after I became a mother, I developed a very strong passion for maternal mental health. 
And um, a few years later, I switched gears a little bit in my career and started working with children, mainly in schools, um, with various, you know, social, uh, emotional regulation, sensory, um, developmental, physical, and fine motor needs. So a lot kind of within my scope. And I also do home visits, and I opened um, a private practice last year just to be able to develop more, um, you know, of a, of a service provision to my community. So um, that's kind of what I do in terms of my career. And um, in terms of my um, social media, I started my page, Mother Care Journey, just around the time when my daughter was three months old. Um, I was in the thick of it <laughs> with adjusting to two young children, a lot of solo parenting with my husband away for work so much. And I felt, you know, if I'm having a hard time, chances are there's a lot of other mothers out there who are struggling and writing was always a release for me. So I started writing and using some of those strategies that I was using in my work um, when I was working in mental health to kind of pull myself out of those hard moments and cope in a healthy way um, with the challenges I was experiencing. And then I decided to make a platform to put my writing on and it kind of just expanded from there. I love the work that you're putting out there and the kind of connection you're making between what you're trained to do and also what you're living day to day as a mother yourself in the trenches. There's a really special place in my heart for occupational therapists um, both my older two children have worked with occupational therapists for their own sensory sensitivities and um, development. And it's just, I, I didn't really know about the field and I didn't really understand what could be supported through that kind of support and that kind of, you know, engagement. And I've learned so much and I, there's just, it's been so impactful to work with those OTs and to learn more about my children through that experience. And also actually to learn more about ourselves because both my husband and I, as we learned about some of the different things that our children were struggling with, we look at each other and we were like, wait, that's, that's me. Like I, I really struggle with like muscle coordination and balance and he experiences a lot of sensory sensitivities. And so we got to learn more about ourselves and our kids through the experience of, of getting a referral to um, an OT from um, our, our school, the kids' school, and then actually doing actually doing that work with them. Um, so special place in my heart for occupational therapists. Uh, so respect the work that you do and the work that you're doing online. You and I met on Instagram. And we actually did a live together when the movie Encanto first came out. And this was before it was like everyone was obsessed and it was like trending. Like this is when like it first came out and like I feel like no one else was talking about it. And I I mentioned something in my stories just about how impactful that movie was in talking about family systems and family relationships and family roles. And you messaged me and you're like, oh my gosh, I felt the same thing when I came out of the movie. Like I, the person I was with, we were just like stunned at how that movie so beautifully depicted these dynamics. And I was like, let's do a live together and let's talk about how families, parents can watch this movie and then have conversations with their kids following the movie to really just um, deepen the experience and to really open up some really beautiful dialogue with their kids about their own experience being in their family. And we did that. 
I'll be sure to include a link in the show notes for anyone who is now obsessed with or their kids are obsessed with Encanto and <laughs> they want to <laughs> hear me and you talk about this and how you can you know, have conversations with your kids following watching the movie. But what we're here to talk about today is self-compassion and self-compassion for yourself, <laughs> yeah, obviously self, but in the context of raising and or being a highly sensitive person. So raising a child that is, as, my, as our friend, our friend, our mutual friend, Dr. Becky would say, a deeply feeling kid or highly sensitive to the world around them and or being one yourself. Because a lot of times these deeply feeling, highly sensitive kids have deeply feeling, highly sensitive parents, you know? And so uh, mm-hmm. before, before we really go into that, I would love to hear your understanding of self-compassion because it's a word that gets thrown around a lot in the wellness world. But really, like, let's get tangible here. How do you define it? What is self-compassion? I can talk about it for days, so you will have to stop me at some point. Um, I, I'm so passionate about self-compassion because it has truly changed my life and the way I parent and the way I view myself. Um, and I mean this wholeheartedly. I got introduced to the work of self-compassion um, uh, by Kristen Neff. Um, her work is absolutely incredible on self-compassion. I've read her books. And um, basically, when I look at self-compassion, it's it, it involves those three components that she um, mentions in her work about being mindful of your emotions. So without attaching any kind of judgment to them, mm-hmm. this is how I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling drained and depleted and just really unhappy right now and just really, really tired and not not judging yourself for these feelings, not having that um, guilt that can sometimes come up for us when we're feeling things. And, you know, we start to say, I'm a mother, I'm supposed to enjoy it all, I'm supposed to be absorbing it all and taking it all in. But no, it's, it's, a, it's a process where I acknowledge how I'm feeling without judging those feelings. So that's kind of the first component. And then the second one is tapping into our shared humanity, feeling mm-hmm. that I'm not alone in, in the way I'm feeling right now and the experiences I'm having. I think there's something very, very powerful when we're going through a challenging experience And we know that we're not alone because our thoughts might start to go down a path of you're the only one going through this and other mothers have it all figured out. (laughs) Other moms don't snap. Other moms don't, you know, fall apart. And you start to think there's something really wrong with me. And that's, you know, it takes us down a path that we just, we don't want to go down. So it's, you know, being mindful of our emotions, tapping into our shared humanity. And the last one is just exuding that kindness to yourself that you would give to anyone that you love. I mean, if, a, if your friend came to you and said, I've been feeling really overwhelmed and I just haven't been enjoying motherhood or I snapped at my husband and my kids today, you would show her so much kindness and that compassion would just probably yeah. naturally flow from you to her. You would never say something like, that was really terrible what you did. You would more say, you know what, <laughs> sounds like you've been really overwhelmed and we all mm-hmm. fall into these patterns of behavior when, or actions or responses when we're feeling that way. 
So it's, it's channeling that in towards yourself and kind of being like that self-compassionate friend to yourself. Mm. Um, so it's just this process of, and when I think about it, when we're going through a hard time, guilt and shame are kind of like coming towards us. And the, the thing that I look at is self-compassion is, is kind of like a barrier and it's mm. telling them, stop, mm. <laughs> stop right there. I am not going to allow you in pretty much. And self-compassion mm. comes and takes over and says, you know, you may be feeling guilty, but let's let's channel that guilt in a way that doesn't make you feel like you're a bad person and paint a negative picture of yourself. You And, and the way I kind of, um, in terms of like a script for myself, it's instead of saying I'm a terrible mom, I snapped or I forgot this appointment. How could I not realize my child was going through this? And it's more of saying, I, I messed up. I made a mistake. I forgot this. I've been overwhelmed. I feel really bad that I forgot this or that I responded in that way to my kids. Let me take a closer look at what's happening inside of me. I'm a good mom going through a hard time. Mm. It's changing that narrative in our minds from one that can lead us to feeling like we're, you know, just not a good person, which can really affect how we move forward. If I feel like I'm a bad mom, or I didn't respond to my kid or support them in the way they needed me to, that can become so paralyzing for me that then I might not be able to move forward versus thinking that I had a hard time, but I'm still a great mom and I love my kids and I can keep going and do the repair work and take a closer look at what led me to respond in that way in the first place. Mm. And the the last thing that I kind of look at self-compassion, because I think that this sometimes comes up is, well, isn't it kind of just justifying your actions and then it's kind of like a get out of jail free card, but it's not. It doesn't absolve us of taking responsibility and accountability for our actions. It just helps us do that without pulling ourselves apart mm. and helping, helping to see the inherent goodness within us that is there and reminding us that I'm having a hard time. I'm not a bad person. Mm. That mantra I am someone who sometimes loses my cool, who yells at my kids, yells at my parents, uh, my parents, my partner and parents, um, forgets things, drops the ball. I'm a good, I am someone who does these things and I'm a good person. I'm a good person who loses it sometimes. Perfection was never the goal. I love this and I, I love how you unpacked each of those. I'd love to, if I could, walk us through, maybe the listener through an exercise that I sometimes will walk a client through when it comes to this. So I invite the listener to take a moment to really just honor for themselves that they took the time, carved out the space to listen to this episode. There's something inside of them. There's a part of them that resonated with this topic and honored for themselves that they were going to set aside the time to maybe understand this experience a little bit more and do a little bit of work for themselves. So let's just honor that for a second. Um, what a salt, what a what a compassionate thing to do for yourself. And and then now maybe that the listener can take a moment to think about a recent a recent situation with their kids, with their partner, with a friend at work, where you found yourself feeling shame, something wrong with me, guilt, I've done something wrong, um, 
and just take a moment to really bring that to mind. And I would invite the listener to imagine that part of them that feels that painful feeling, whether it be shame, guilt, and pulling that part out, imagining if you were to set that side, sit that part of you across from you, right? Like what would that part of you look like? How do you feel in that part's presence? And if you were to approach that part of you, and the part of you that's approaching is this self-compassionate part that we that Rhonda has explained to us that we all have within us because we can so easily access it and offer it to others. If you were to bring that part forward and place your hand on the shame or the guilt shoulders, that version of you, that part of you. And if you were to maybe get down to that part's level, because I just, for me, I picture that part kind of crouched and like, you know, a really ashamed position. And if you were to turn to that part of yourself and to offer these three components that Rhonda shared here around Kristen Neff's work of first, just acknowledging the feeling without judgment. We are wired for these feelings. We're wired for guilt. It's oftentimes there to let us know what matters most to us, right? It can let us know when we've done something out of alignment with our values. Doesn't mean it always gets it right or that that really is the value that needs to be prioritized or that that value is being defined in a way that's uh, really realistic um, or relevant to that situation. But we are feeling people. We are wired for them. So just noticing the feeling, noticing the thoughts around the feeling. And then taking a moment to offer number two, which you which you said here, the piece around like placing your experience in the context of the fact that you're not alone in these experiences, right? Um, imagining the friends around you, the mothers around the world, the parents around the world who are also in the trenches, knowing that you are not alone. This is not something that is a sign or a signal that there's just something deeply wrong with you. You're broken or damaged. You're bad. No, you're not alone. Take this from someone who works every day with folks who are struggling with these things. You're not alone. And then number three here, which you mentioned, was being able to offer that same compassion you would offer to someone else. And what you said in there was that when you are showing compassion to someone else, you, you kind of help them put their experience, that moment, that tough moment, that feeling into context with, you know, everything that they're carrying, right? The, the, the situation that kind of led to whatever that moment was that you're feeling really, really badly about and offering a supportive nudge in the direction of caring for yourself and acknowledging that you're human and that you are a good person who is having a hard time. And if at any point during this little quick exercise you found yourself, you found yourself feeling really blocked or like, oof, I can't go there or that doesn't feel like true to, for me, that could be a signal, right, of maybe more support being needed, 
of maybe being able to process some of your experiences that have kind of led to how difficult it is for you to accept your inner goodness, right? Um, or any blocks that showed up. Therapy can be one way, one place where that can kind of happen or opening up to someone that really knows you, that you can really, you really consider a safe space for you to open up to that person around. And, and the reason that, the reason for that is, you know, connection is the antidote to shame from all the research and being able to connect with people in those ways. I'm curious, um, Renda, for that, that little exercise, are there any pieces, is there anything that you would add to that um, or anything that you want to kind of share just in this kind of posturing towards yourself, right? This kind of practice of posturing towards yourself in a way that is, um, is showcasing self-compassion or practicing that compassion muscle. Um, what a great exercise. Uh, thank you for, for having us do this. I think um, I really like how you mentioned to kind of get down to the, to the level of that, of those parts of ourselves that have maybe have that shame or that guilt around an experience that we're having or a tough time. And um, it's, it's kind of like shining a flashlight and, you know, you're coming to these things. Um, I once heard a talk that you come to, to, to the parts of yourselves that you're not um, totally happy with or that you're feeling uncomfortable with, with a flashlight instead of a hammer, right? So you're having that flashlight and you're saying, okay, shame and guilt, you are both here and you may have come to protect me. You may have come to send me a sign or a message. Thank you for being here, but you are not serving me anymore. Mm. I need to replace you and I need to work on getting that self-compassion part of myself bigger and stronger and more readily accessible and available to me so that mm. when I am in those hard times, you're not there front and center <laughs> greeting me and self-compassion is able to, to help me move forward. Mm. So it's kind of like acknowledging, like you were saying, shame and guilt, like we said, we're hot, we're hardwired for these, for these um, experiences and for us to acknowledge that I am feeling very guilty right now, mm. I need to be so mindful of how this guilt is going to shape how I think about myself. Mm. And perhaps that's where I need to tell the shame that I, I can't have you around here anymore. You are not serving me. Mm. I need self-compassion to take your place kind of thing. Mm. Mm. I love that. Okay, how do we connect this into then the experience of being someone who's highly sensitive to the world around them? Um, I think this is really, really a place where, you know, the work that you've done, your training is going to come in and kind of help us better understand, like, what does that even mean? Like, what does it even mean to be highly sensitive? How do you know if you are? Can you kind of, kind of walk us through that? Sure. Um, I shared on my story not too long ago, and maybe I'll send you the link, Dr. Cassidy, to put in the show notes. There's actually a little test you can take, um, and it basically asks you a series of questions to help you understand if this is a trait that you exhibit. So highly, high sensitivity is a trait, um, and it's said that it's present in about 20% of the world's population, um, give or take. And it's honestly such a helpful thing to know if you have it because it will explain a lot of things that you're experiencing and I think a lot of us find out later in our life 
as adults that we are highly sensitive when perhaps this was present in our childhood and in our teenage years. And we're sometimes thinking, why am I the only one that can't tolerate going to, you know, these crowded, loud events? How come I'm the first one to, you know, needing to leave these events? Or how come when I'm sitting with a group of people, I like, you feel like you're just so in tune with the subtleties of people's feelings and things they're not saying sometimes, which can be a beautiful thing, but it can also take a toll because you're constantly on and you're processing and you're thinking and you're so in touch with different things and it sticks with you. So you might continue to think about the things that people have said for days. (laughs) You might not sleep that night if someone said something that really kind of, you know, got got things going in, in your mind. So it's just being that it's almost like the way I explain it is like the volume is turned up on our mm-hmm. senses. Yes. Um, and it just helps to explain it even to kids sometimes that have these traits that you you just feel the world in a bit of a, a, a deeper way, um, which is, again, an incredible gift. I look at it as a really, really powerful gift. Um, and it just needs the right type of tools to manage it so that it doesn't become something that takes over because it can become very consuming. So you'll have people that are very sensitive to sounds, noise. Um, They have a threshold. So we all kind of have this threshold of our limit, our capacity for the day. And people with high sensitivity might have a lower threshold and they get their cup is full (laughs) much quicker and they need to tap out. They need a break before their system becomes overloaded with input that they are not you know, able then to cope with. And that's where we sometimes snap. We have a meltdown. We are just, we respond in a way that kind of comes as a shock to us and to others, but it's because our nervous system is literally kind of lighting all the, all the red flags saying you need to do something because you are, you are an overload, um, uh, an overloaded state. So um, it's it's along a continuum, I find. So you'll never find two highly sensitive people that present in the same way or have the same sensitivities. So um, it's just a matter of knowing if you have this trait and what things you you struggle with the most. Is it feeling rushed? So a lot of highly sensitive people having a really busy day, having no downtime, no alone time, no quiet time is so overwhelming. And when you're a parent, this is just kind of the natural part of our day when we're taking care of little, you know, young children and we're dropping off to school and we have appointments and, and then that, that noise level just gets to a point where it becomes so unmanageable for our nervous system to cope with. And you can't always escape. You can't always hide in your closet because, you know, sometimes they find you there. So it's, it's just such an important thing to know if you have it and we can talk about tools on how to cope with with the sensory overload and how to support your children if they have this trait as well, because that's where, you know, it can become like, I'm not only having to manage my own sensory input, I need to also help my child. And I, it can get to a point where because you know how challenging it can be, it takes a significant toll on you. You almost overcompensate sometimes for your kids difficulties and you want to shelter them you want to protect them from all of these challenges but then they're not learning how to cope with them Mm. so many so much that you shared in there just really resonated you know when when we got our our children assessed um and it was actually first our, our middle child 
um, that we got assessed just based on the recommendation of his preschool teacher. Um, and it was for his um, his grip, how he gripped um, crayons mm-hmm. and, and pens and pencils. And so we went in to get him assessed and they did a full assessment and we c- come to find out that his grip could be connected to other things um, that we didn't even realize. And also um, discovered some of the sensory sensitivities that he has, sensory processing disorder. And when we were doing the assessment um, and through the questions, found ourselves really thinking about our our oldest, who um, I, re- I recall when she was much younger, you know, she'd be on the playground and if there was a child crying, for example, she would stop playing and she wouldn't be able to re-engage in play until the crying stopped. Um, she had a really difficult time when her brother was born, you know, a newborn that was crying all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, just very sensitive to, to the sensory, the, the sound sensory experience of the world around her. At least that was something that was very observable for us. And as she, as she had gotten older, she had learned, as I think we all do, kind of how to cope with that in different ways. Um, but we recalled that. So we got her assessed as well. And I remember leaving um, that initial assessment and, you know, my husband turning to me and just being like, this is me. Like, this has been me my <laughs> entire life. Um, and it really helped for me to better understand because there would be frustrating moments when it seemed like he needed to leave places sooner, right, than I was ready for. Or he needed more breaks in the day or needed um, – he got – uh, noise canceling headphones, or he got mm-hmm. headphones as a gift once, but they were noise canceling also. And he would wear them without listening to anything sometimes. And it just, I remember initially feeling like he's just trying to tune us all out. <laughs> well, he he was, but like, yeah. has, because of the way in which his brain processes and the threshold, as you mentioned, to the world around him. And actually, when he's given those margins and space for his, you know, for his nervous system and his sensory experience to get that space in those breaks, he actually comes back and is able to be more present, right? Um, and so it, it's helped for me in a better understanding him, more intimately understanding my children, um, and more intimately understanding myself. Because as you said, not everybody has their own thresholds. And so even if I don't have the same sensory sensitivities as my my husband does, um, becoming a parent has made my my experience of the world around me, I, I'm much more aware of like areas of where I'm sensitive um, in terms of just like getting overloaded. Um, and just having that understanding, that intimate awareness of my, for myself, for my kids, for him, it's so much easier to invite in compassion versus frustration or shame or, you know, some of the other emotions that can Mm -hmm. kind of creep in. So I'd love to hear some of your tips or tools for how we can navigate that for ourselves um, and also supporting our kids. And then maybe also when there might be some signals of more support being needed, whether that's through occupational therapy or other forms of therapy. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah. So the first, the first bit is really self-awareness is to know that this is what I'm experiencing. 
Um, so kind of the things that we talked about, um, and again, if you do that test, it might bring up a little bit more of that clarity that you might need. Um, but it's basically, yeah, having that sensitivity to sound, sometimes it's textures, fabrics, you might have, you know, I work with some kids who can't tolerate the feeling of pants. Um, uh -huh. in the winter here in Canada, that can become a problem. So we, um, we know that there's a sensory processing need that's that's underlying that, right? So there, that's the thing. There's a, there's this difference between is it a sensory processing disorder, or mm. is it a highly sensitive thing? And mm. the way we kind of differentiate is um, sensory processing disorder. It's more about how the the nervous system is organizing the input mm. and how it's able to to regulate it. High sense and, and with sensory processing disorder, kids can either be under responsive. So they're mm -hmm. seeking more, they want more, more movement, more touching, more all of these things that give them that state of regulation, or they're over responsive where they are, you know, any kind of loud sound or touch just really brings their sensory system to an overloaded state. So they're and the ones can, that avoid can they be, it. And maybe, can there be both yeah. that show up? Because I know that like, for instance, um, my middle child, he seeks out sensory input. So there's a, he'll, he'll, he'll lean up against us a lot. He really loves being held tightly. Um, and, and also though, like when the baby is crying, when our toddler is crying, he he goes and finds finds his noise canceling headphones right away because it's it's very um, distressing to him um, the mm -hmm. the sound and so can, can there be both just for the listener absolutely yeah absolutely and that's kind of part of the assessment that a, an occupational therapist would do so we look at all the different sensory areas um, and then we we identify they're under responsive regarding um, touch or body awareness and then they're over responsive with noise or with, you know, different other, their other senses or their proprioceptive input, they need more of that. So that's why, you know, these are the kids that are crashing into things and jumping and needing just so much more of that kind of deep pressure. Um, so they, so kids can definitely have both. And you might find even, um, you know, with the highly sensitive trait piece that the, the, the comments, the, the similarity between having the highly sensitive trait and sensory processing is that um, highly sensitive individuals can experience that over responsive responsivity you they won't experience the under responsive they're usually more just over responsive and if it's something that's really impacting their ability to function in their life that's where it's i would lean more towards it being a sensory processing need is how their nervous system is organizing that input versus the highly sensitive piece which it's it's bothering them it's something that does show up in their life but they're still able to function and if you teach them kind of the tools to cope with it and to tolerate it they're able to tolerate it versus sensory processing um that underlying need they they might need a lot more support to be able to to tolerate it yeah thank you for differentiating those um okay so let's let's kind of go into the realm of just like being the highly sensitive highly sensitive parent right like it, it impacts functioning, um, and there might be some things that you could do outside of, you know, getting more professional support around that. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, what does this look like? Um, injecting self-compassion while also um, really supporting your your needs as a highly sensitive parent, navigating parenting and navigating the world around you. Day-to-day, -day, what are some ways that we can support ourselves through that? 
Very, very important. Um, so the first thing is to know your triggers, know what things during your day will will show up <laughs> and probably cause you to have that sensory, sensory overload experience. So this can be based on your history. You, you know, when you look back on days that were just so overwhelming, days where you felt completely wiped out, and you may have not um, responded in the best way to others, or you just felt really, really unwell and overwhelmed, take a look at those days. Was it they were too busy? Were there specific experiences that happened in those days? Were you um, involved in something at work that was really, really social and you had to just be on the whole time? Um, was it that somebody shared something with you that was really, really difficult for you to process and cope with. So to kind of look at these experiences and to think, what, where, where do I have the hardest time coping? Just so that then when you're planning your days, you know, kind of, okay, I have this thing in the afternoon and I know it's going to take, take the life out of me. So I need to plan a very low key, easygoing morning with breaks and to just replenish myself and to just give myself that time to just be and to and to kind of get my nervous system down to a very kind of nice mellow level. Um, so, you know, going with your kid on a field trip that morning might be not the greatest idea, but just to kind of help you plan your days better and planning breaks if you can, giving yourself time to get places. So not having that rushed back to back, back to back um, plan for your day. So as a highly sensitive person myself, I know that if I have those days, I am just completely drained by the time I get home. And what I have left for my kids isn't always great. <laughs> so I know that I need to give myself breaks, give myself time to get places if I feel rushed. So you'll find that a lot of highly sensitive people feeling rushed is so overwhelming. So someone telling them, hurry up, or you know, you, you have to get to this place at this time and you're already running late. So giving yourself that space. And then when you're in the midst of it all, you're at home, TV's on, kids are playing or screaming, you know, the, the washing machine is on, the dryer's on, the fan is on. Know that all this background noise, it, it may eventually get to you and it's kind of adding up into that threshold that you have. You know, remember we have sometimes a smaller threshold for sounds, for input, for overstimulation. And that's when I know, okay, there's too much going on in the background here. I need to turn stuff off or um, just like your, your husband using those, um, the noise canceling headphones, sometimes you need to just put them on, put something, even if it's, you're not listening to anything, or if you want to listen to something to drown it all out, you can, um, taking those breaks. So just saying, you know what, I'm going to take 10 minutes up in my room and I'll be back giving yourself that permission to, to tap out if you can, and if, when you need to, if it's safe, like my kids are a little bit older now. So even if I'm alone with them, I'll say, I just need a little break, you guys. I'm going up to my room to get something and I'll be back. And I know that they're doing something. They're playing or they're watching something. Um, when they were younger, they'd follow me. And over time, I just kind of tell, told them, mommy just needs a little break. I'll be right back. I know where you are. I know you're safe. Um, and they, And I think they could see that I would come back and I would be genuinely feeling more relaxed and able to take in more <laughs> versus if I had stayed and just kept taking in more stimulation, I was probably yeah. going to reach a breaking point. So all these yeah. little things in your day, um, seeing where you can cut back, 
where you can reduce and min- you know minimize noise, minimize stimulation. Um, saying no, having boundaries is so, so important for everyone, but as a highly sensitive person, and um, I'll get into this a little bit when we talk about kids, we can fall into these people-pleasing patterns because we're so in tune with other people's feelings, right? So I know that when someone is asking me for something, I know how much it means to them, and I'm absorbing that, and I'm letting it really affect my decision-making because I'm like, oh, and I know how it feels like to be disappointed or rejected, so I'm going to say yes, but then I've just overwhelmed myself with one more thing that is going to really keep me probably busy for weeks and me thinking about it and, and all of that, so it's just being very mindful of your capabilities, your boundaries, knowing that you can do all the things you need to do, but maybe not at the same time. And that's okay. Yeah. You, you just mentioned the piece here around kiddos and kind of mm-hmm. how this can be connected to that sort of people pleasing um, or just, you know, abandoning your own boundaries or taking on too much, um, putting others' needs before your own. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you see this showing up, um, in kids and how we as parents can, can notice and then support those highly sensitive kiddos. Yeah, of course. Um, so I have a highly sensitive child, um, and she is, she's four years old now. And ever since she was a baby, um, kind of like what you were saying about your daughter, like if she hurts a child crying, it would stop her in her tracks. Um, she's always been very in tune with the people around her and with me even because she spends the most time with me. She's usually very aware of how I'm feeling and she'll ask me, mommy, are you sad? Or, you know, are you mad? Or And, and she and even if I haven't said anything, right, she kind of just observes and, and then asks me. And so I'm always very careful about um, ensuring that she doesn't feel like she needs to ever fix it or be ever feel like she's responsible for it in any way and he'll always say honey I'm, I'm feeling a little sad but I can I'm taking care of myself I'll be okay thank you for asking um, so she's very in tune with that um, she's very in tune to the one time we were out hiking and she saw a child fall and an ambulance had to come and um, they I think they injured their leg so the ambulance came and um, paramedics came and took them and she talked about that for months and asked me about this boy and said mommy do you think he's okay did he, did his, did his leg, you know, get fixed? And I just had to keep reassuring her. So they, they really do um, have this strong, strong sense of empathy, which is incredible. And I would never, ever want that to, to go away. It's more of helping them channel it in a way where having these feelings of, you know, just, just feeling that this person is hurt or they're sad and you being aware of that is a beautiful thing, but you don't always have to be the one to fix it, um, you can have empathy without their feelings becoming your own. So I know I'm going to have to do a lot of that type of work with her as she's growing, um, because I needed that, to do that work as well, and a lot of us needed to do that well, do that work growing up. Um, so just being aware that you you have an opinion, you have a voice, and we want to hear it, even if it's against, in, different than what everyone else thinks, because we don't want you to think that you have to go with the flow to keep the peace or because you see how much other people want something. So then those feelings become your own, helping her be her own person and that she is valuable. Her voice is valuable, not to feel like she always has to give up her, her own feelings or thoughts to, to please others, basically. 
I think that one, and I, I say this often to my husband, and then I try to honor it for myself too because um, I have my own um, sensitivities and, and experiences as a child that definitely have impacted me being a recovering people pleaser and recovering perfectionist <laughs> myself. Um, but I'll say this to my husband sometimes, like one of the beautiful things about him having his – sensitivity, sensory sensitivities is that he, I think, deeply understands our children's experience in the world. And yes, different thresholds, different ways in which it shows up. We all have that, but we all have our differences. But being a highly sensitive parent, as you said, that you are having a highly sensitive child, um, what a beautiful access to their inner world that you have in terms of empathy and understanding what what that can feel like in those moments, right? Um, when you feel overwhelmed or when you feel scared or when you feel nervous. And also just knowing what you could have really used in those moments as a child and being able to translate in that into what you offer your child now. And also what a beautiful way to engage in reparenting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if that is something that's that's really called for for you, right? Like. Maybe you didn't get exactly what you needed um, in those moments um, as a highly sensitive child, and now you get to show up in the parent in the role of the person that is, you know, that that leader in the home that can show up and offer that for your kid. I think it's just such a beautiful way for us to connect with our children while also connecting with that part of ourselves that's still that little kid within us that needed all those things then and and probably still needs those things, right? Um, mm. Renda, it's been such a pleasure connecting with you today. I really, really deeply value all that you shared. And I'm sure the listeners are just like, more, more, more. Like, I I relate to this. I didn't know there was a name for it, or I did. But now I just have a deeper understanding of it after listening to you speak about these pieces and these topics and how they're connected. Where can people find you um, and continue to connect with you and learn from you? I have an Instagram uh, page, Mother Care Journey. And I also have a website, um, www.mothercarejourney.com, where I share some uh, some of my writing as well. And I love to connect with you. You're always welcome to send me a DM. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about what we talked about today. You'll find a lot of information on highly sensitive children and how to help support them, um, how to help support yourself, and just the self-compassion piece. You'll always find that on my page in some way, shape, or form. And um I'm just so happy that we got to talk about these things today. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I will share links to those um, places where they can find you that you mentioned in the show notes. So listeners can go straight there. Rhonda, thank you so much for taking the time. I so, I'm so grateful that we've had a chance to connect. Likewise. Thank you, Dr. Cassidy. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air and go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned into this episode. 
I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.